Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. That was a blessing, amen. Boy, I tell you, that was good. Thank you for that. That really um, uh, ministered to my heart, and I'm so thankful for the good effort uh, to the good music that is put on here. Uh, and I hope, I hope that you'll uh, make it a point in your life um, to listen to some good music, really. Uh, it's really hard to get what you get at camp when you go home and you don't do what you did at camp. That makes sense? So you get a lot of preaching, a lot of church, a lot of good fellowship, a lot of good influences, um, less technology, less idle time, uh, more time in the Bible, more time listening to great music. You know, you just think, if you just do a little bit more of that at home, you might get a few better results, uh, perhaps, and uh, I know I'm always encouraged when I come here, and I love this time of year. I go to camps pretty much every week, and I just enjoy it. I just enjoy uh, being around, seeing what God's doing, and uh, being a part of your lives, even if it's just for a small uh, uh, set amount of time. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to introduce my wife, but I think she slipped out. My wife showed up today. How awesome is that? Hey, look, that was like really awesome, okay? She just showed up, like boom, there she was. She just there. She totally surprised me. How cool is that? That's cool, dude. Okay, you can. That's cooler than a video game. Okay, what I just what I just said was really cool. So I think I think my son was tired. I think they left. But anyways, so if you see me tomorrow uh, with with this really really good looking girl with me, that's my wife. Okay, it's it's all good. So don't worry. I didn't pick up a girlfriend at camp. Okay, uh, I already have a girlfriend, and she's my wife. Okay, and she's here. So thankful for her. And uh, pray for us as you think about it. We have to. We have a long trip back tomorrow. We're going to leave after the service and drive all through the night to get home uh, to uh, go back to our church on Sunday, which is in Florida. I wish it was next door because I wouldn't want to drive all that way, but uh, I sure appreciate uh, the kind words many of you have said uh, to me and the, the, just the, the great response and the great spirit that you've brought to this week at camp. And I pray uh, that, that something, something said this week will have made a, a real difference in your life. And I'm looking forward to a good full day of serving the Lord with you tomorrow together. Let's take our Bibles and let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. Now I know, I know I preached on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 last night, but I only looked at the last five verses uh, of chapter 4. We're actually going to go with the first few verses of chapter 4 for tonight's message and I'll be honest with you, this will be a sobering message, I think, for some of you. And uh, I, I, I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today and many of our young people in our churches today have lost our way in this area that I want to talk about tonight. It's an area that we have almost completely neglected 
in our teaching and our preaching and our expectation. And the word that we're going to use tonight uh, is a word that has almost lost its way in our churches today. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. And I want to, I want to, I want to if I could, uh, set a standard. Not, not, not some weird standard. I'm talking about a biblical uh, a standard, meaning a, a place where we rally around and run to and, and call you to a life uh, that would be that which would please the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, I want to read, beginning at verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read down through verse number 7. All right? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Let me ask y'all a question tonight. Have any of you ever asked that question? What is is God's will for my life. Anybody ever asked that question? Anybody ever thought that question in your mind? Or, or let me word it another way in case you're not overly familiar with Bible words. How many of you have ever thought or said something like this? I wonder what God wants me to do with my life. Anybody been there? Okay, right. So that topic biblically is the will of God. What does God want me to do? Did anybody else see how plain the Bible is right there? This is the will of God. Let me give you a principle here before I go on. Do not expect God to show you his specific will, where he wants you to live, who he wants you to marry, what kind of job he wants you to do, where he wants you to go to college, those kinds of things. Do not expect him to show you his specific will unless you are living in his general will. This is the will of God. Now watch it. Even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. For uh, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Watch this. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now that's what I want to preach on tonight. The high call of holiness. The high call of holiness. Now watch it before you get upset with me tonight. This is God's will. This is God's word. This is not some obscure back porch teaching in the Bible. This is something that is plain, centered, bold letters, big print all throughout the Bible. Young person, listen to me. If you want to know what God wants for you, and you want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must choose to follow a path of biblical holiness. With that thought in mind, let's pray. And uh, I only got two points tonight. Isn't that cool? That don't mean it's going to be shorter. 
It just means there's two, not three. So let's pray and we'll look at those tonight. Lord, I pray you'll bless the message tonight. Use it. Help me, Lord, to communicate this with, with great clarity, with Holy Spirit unction. Lord, with a heart to help, not just to declare. And, and I pray, Lord, that young people will get help. I pray, Lord, right now that there will be some young people that from this camp maybe never heard anything like this in their life, that they would leave this place and determine to please God and live a life of moral purity for the glory of Christ and, and be something that would sparkle as a bright and shining light in a very, very, very dark world. Help us to reflect the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. For these things we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. According to the Illinois Department of Resources, more than 17,000 deer die each year being struck by motorists on that state's highways. Quite an astonishing statistic. I'll never forget, as long as I live, driving from the Washington, D.C. airport, the Baltimore one, uh, up to preach a meeting uh, in an area uh, church there. A good friend of mine from college had picked me up, and we were driving, uh, I think it was Interstate 95, and all of a sudden, off on a hillside, you saw about 100 deer sprinting down the hill, flying across the interstate. I mean, they came right at us. And man, sure enough, we plowed a deer. I mean, it was right in front of me, right directly in front of me. I mean, it... it that we hit that deer right in front of me and his entire insides shot up on the window right in front of me. It was one of the most horrific experiences of my life, okay? It was scary. I thought for sure we were going to die. This happens all the time. But you know what they've studied in Illinois? That this increases significantly in the late fall. For those of you that are hunters, you would know that in the late fall, uh, it is peak season for uh, the rut for bucks, deer, meaning they are in the middle of their mating season. And when they're in the middle of their mating season, they focus, this is a quote from their article, they concentrate almost exclusively on reproductive activities and are a lot less uh, uh, aware of their surroundings than they are on the rest of the year. Isn't that interesting? What is it that kills these deers at an accelerated rate at the end of the fall each year? And the answer is they are so focused on mating that they literally lose their minds in other areas. Man, if that does not sound like the American culture that we live in today, I do not know what is. We have a preoccupation with sensual and sexual and evil a culture that has so focused on these things as normal, as regular, as expected, that we have pretty much wholesale sold out a biblical picture of what a Christian life is supposed to look like. God has called us to be holy. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness 
without which no man will see the Lord. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking here today, preacher, I thought all this uh, holiness and all this moral living and all this purity was, was for old people, not the new people. Hey, listen, I want you to understand something today that I'm not talking about old school or new school. Being holy is not a matter of being in vogue or out of vogue. Listen, holiness has nothing to do with whether you are 60 and Andy Griffith is your favorite show or you are 15 and playing video games all day is your favorite pastime. Listen, holiness, purity in the Christian life is a matter for all believers regardless of age. In fact, I would encourage you to consider what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 where it does not challenge the old men, it rather challenges young men to be a pattern of good works in every area of their life. Then in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it is not the older women, it is the younger women that are taught to be sober, to be, listen, discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good and obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. It was the older generation of the church that was to be teaching the younger generation of the church that purity and holiness and sexual abstinence are to be parts of the Christian experience. Now, young person, listen to me. I know that you live in a whacked out culture. You live in a crazy culture. You live in a culture where everything that is wrong is called right and everything that is right that is called wrong. But I want to encourage you, do not take your cues from culture. Take your cues from the Word of God. So let me tonight explain before I start what holiness really is according to the Bible. To be holy is to be morally blameless. It is to be separated from sin and consecrated unto God. The word signifies a person who is separated to God and therefore their lifestyle is befitting of someone who is consecrated to God. To live a holy life then is a person who lives in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and, watch it, in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. If I could summarize that for you simply, I'd put it like this. To be holy means to be distinct or to be different or to be separated. I'm not talking about being weird and wearing moo-moos and looking like you just fell off of the little house on the prairie. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking tonight about living different and looking different and acting different than people that do not even know God. The Bible here plainly calls us to a life of holiness. And there are two statements that I want to make tonight. I want you to listen very carefully. What does holiness look like to a believer? First of all, it comes from a heart to please God. Why would I want to be holy? Why would I want to live my life in honor, in purity, in moral abstinence, why would I want to be clean in my life? Why would I want to be above reproach in my relationships with, with, with boys and girls? Why would I want to keep myself pure and right and, and wholly dedicated for somebody that I'm going to marry one day? Well, the first and foremost thing is that I want to please God with my life. Now, that's what Paul says in verse number one. We beseech you, brethren, how that ye ought to walk and to please God. Now, let me stop and say this. It is not possible to please God outside of the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. You cannot do good enough to please God. You cannot obey enough to please God. However, those of us that are in the flesh cannot please God. However, those of us that are in Jesus Christ know this. We are not trying to please God to earn his faith. 
favor for salvation. We are trying to please God to show him how grateful and thankful we are that he saved us and rescued us, and therefore, we want to spend the rest of our lives pleasing God. Folks, I cannot think of a higher goal or object in my life than that I want to please God with my life. Don't you? Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says that we should walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It ought to be our goal to please God. It ought to be our goal to follow God. And the Bible tells us in verses 1 and 2 how we do that in our lives. First of all, we receive the truth. Now look at the end. Uh, look at verse number 2, if you will. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us one. Now, I want to stop and say this. There is a movement in our churches today, and I don't know where it came from, I don't know how it happened, but it is a, a essentially a movement of people that believe that the only thing that really matters in the Christian life is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel. Now, listen to me very carefully. It is, without a doubt, the priority of the Christian life. It is the priority of the church. It is what we are supposed to do, and what we are supposed to follow, and what we are supposed to preach. But I want you to know that when you read the Bible, God talks a lot more than just about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me prove this to you. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verse number 13, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 13. It says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when, we re when ye received the word of God which you heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. Watch it. The word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, chapter 2, verse 13 is clearly talking about when Paul came and preached the gospel to these people. And they accepted what he preached, and they believed what he preached, and subsequently they are saved. But now, go back to chapter 4 and look at what he says here in verse number 2. You know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is the will of God. Uh, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. It is very evident that not only did Paul teach them the gospel, he also taught them principles of Christian living. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, he reminded them that when he came the first time, he told them that men should work, because if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. And I could go example after example after example to tell you that the Christian life is more than just being saved. The Christian life is a matter of starting with your salvation and then from your salvation and because of your salvation and under the power of your salvation you are to live a life pleasing to Jesus Christ now, folks listen very carefully it's not just enough for you to just have accepted Jesus Christ and then decide that you're just going to live any old jolly well you please you know the Bible says plainly in Romans chapter 5 it says where sin abounded grace shall much more abound what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Listen, grace does not call me to not want to serve God. Grace calls me to live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. That's what grace does for us. So, 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 so pleasing God is a matter of receiving the Bible. Pleasing God then is a matter of living out the Bible. I am concerned about my church. I am concerned about maybe you and your church. 
I'm concerned about people uh, uh, that listen to preaching all the time, that they are far more interested in, uh, in, in the preaching of the Bible than they are in their practicing of the Bible. I get it all the time. Man, that's a good message, brother. Really? Well, thanks. That's, that's great. I appreciate that. Now, I, I, I'm sure you appreciate energetic, exciting, biblical preaching. I do. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who, who wants to listen to a boring preacher? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah. Don't listen to a boring preacher. Good night. If I wanted to take a nap, I'd just go home and go to bed, right? Look, it's not about do you like preaching. That's not the issue. It's not do you like you wanting to live and practice what the Bible says. Isn't that what James tells us? He says, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Young person, we have got to see once again a generation of teenagers that is not just interested in all the theological facts. I mean, I'm looking at some kids right here. Good night. If you were to take a basic freshman level in college Bible exam, you would pass every single test there is. You know, some of you have been hearing the Bible since you were in diapers. You know all the stories. You can name the books of the Bible frontwards and backwards. You know all the songs. Uh, you can basically uh, t teach me basic theology and all the stories of the Bible because you've been hearing them since you were a kid. Young person, listen. God is not so much interested in the fact that you have a head knowledge of the Bible. He is interested in the fact, are you willing to spend your lives surrendered to what the Bible says to you? Be a doer of the word. Not just the hearer of the word. Now here's the question. As it relates to holiness, specifically in the area of moral purity, let's take it a step further. So the first matter is this. You ought to want to please God. The second matter is this. You ought to want to live pure. Young person, if you love Jesus, if you want to live a life that pleases him, if you want to make it a long time in this Christian life, let me tell you one commitment you're going to have to have. You're going to have, a have to have a commitment to moral purity in your life. You are going to have to decide that as for me, I am going to keep myself pure. I am going to keep my thoughts pure. I am going to keep my mind pure. I am going to keep my relationships pure. I am going to do what God wants me to do because, because I am not going to live my life completely soiled and spoiled and contaminated by the world. And I am not going to live my life bouncing from relationship to relationship, giving parts of me away that I have no business giving away until the Lord gives me the person that he wants me to marry. I'm challenging you tonight to make decisions in your heart that you are going to live a life of moral purity. I'm looking at some young people right now, and the very sad fact of the reality is right now, you have not been there up to this point. Can I encourage you about this tonight? Look, you may have failed. You may have struggled. You may have gotten involved physically in a relationship. Uh, you may not be a virgin anymore, but let me tell you what you can do. You can, by the grace of God tonight, say, I don't know what I did in the past. That was a huge mistake, and I know this. From this day forward, I want to please God with my wife, and you watch him piece your life back together and push you forward and give you hope in a future if you'll start following God. Now listen very carefully. I would say to the rest of you, hopefully the vast majority of you that have not been down that road, that have tried up to this point to keep yourself pure, make a conscious decision right here and right now. This is going to be what my life is going to look like. And I'm not going to bend on that. I remember a girl here at camp, this camp, several years ago, she, she was so brokenhearted because she had started dating a boy that she knew uh, in, 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 all the way from kindergarten. 
They had been friends. They had been uh, locker mates for, for years. They would went to the same schools and had a similar last name, set together a lot of classes, and they were friends until when they got into uh, 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 about 10th grade, they started liking each other. They started dating. It wasn't too long before the boy was starting to make physical advances on her. And she spoke up to him and said, man, I, I, I just can't. I know this isn't right. I shouldn't do this. And from that point forward, he broke off the relationship. Not only did he break off the dating relationship, he broke off the friendship altogether. And that little brokenhearted girl was sitting there in complete disbelief because all she was trying to do was be a friend and all he was trying to do was push the issue physically and literally destroyed a relationship. Young person, listen to me. When you are in high school and you do not have a ring on your finger that says, I am married, you have no business pushing a sexual or immoral agenda in your life at all. And you've got to watch that. You've got to be careful of that. You've got to know that although everybody in your public high school may be doing that, that is not something that a Christian should be doing. In fact, in verses 3 through 5, that is the main thrust of verses 3 through 5. He basically says this, in order to live pure, you have got to stop living like lost people. Young person, you want to know a characteristic of somebody that doesn't know God is when they are 13 or 14 years old, they have already followed all the movies, they have already listened to all the raunchy music, they have already followed all the cues of all the YouTube videos, and they have already started to go down the road of exploring with sexual things with their, their boyfriends, and they have started to mess their lives up. And I'm saying to you that it should not look the same in a youth group of people that know Jesus Christ as Savior as it does in a public high school filled with people that don't even know who God is. That's exactly what he says. Look, look at this. Look at, look at the text. Verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. By the way, let me pause there and say this. The word fornication in the Bible is a very broad word. The Greek word is the word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And while some people would try to narrow the word and say that it only speaks of premarital sexual activity, I believe it does speak of that. It speaks much broader than that. It is a word that speaks of every sort of sexual deviation, whether it is mental, whether it is physical, whether it is extramarital or premarital, whether it is homosexual or heterosexual, it doesn't matter. Anytime somebody goes down a road of immorality, the Bible broad brushes it with a word fornication. And I believe for you right now, it would be very applicable to say that God wants you, look at the word, to abstain. It's very clear, is it not? He would want you to abstain from physical relationships that would cause you to be following the lustful passions that are in your sinful heart. He says, I want you to stay away from it. I want you to be rid of it. I want you to be clean of it. I want you to not have it as a part of your life. Wouldn't you agree with me tonight that this would include things like pornography? The Bible says you've heard it old. Of old, you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I've noticed that when we say amen in churches like this, everybody's in agreement. I've also noted when it gets so quiet, you can hear a pin drop that somebody's hearing what I'm saying. Men, it has been proven. Young ladies, it has been proven both scientifically and in every other way that looking at pornography is a similar effect on the body as being hooked on narcotics. 
And that may be the simplest part of it. The worst part of it is that you get a skewed worldly view of what sexual relationships are. The another worst part about it is that you begin to objectify people. And people become objects for you to look at. And all of a sudden, there's only one standard of what a young lady or what a young man is supposed to be. And there's supposed to be this beautiful actor picture of a person. And I want you people to know this. That is not the way God intends for your mind to be thinking when it comes to relationships with guys and girls. He does not want you primarily focused on those physical, fake attributes that are so unrealistic and so phony that it completely skews and ruins, potentially, your entire relationship with somebody that wants day you'll be married to do you not understand how devastating pornography is you know how devastating it is when 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 that is what a person cannot get away from and they run to it and every time they get alone and they want to turn on that computer or that phone or that or that ipad or that tablet or whatever they've got and some of you are living in a complete danger zone right now you go to your room you have a phone you have a tablet you have internet you have a television set in your room i don't know why your parents let you do it they ought to have their heads examined for letting you do that but there you are in your room with an internet connection with a phone with no supervision whatsoever and guess what's happened the flesh will take over and it will push you in your flesh toward those images toward those videos and toward those sites that will completely destroy your is anybody in here with me tonight i'm telling you tonight young person it is just as damaging biblically to be involved with pornography as a sexual activity abstain from fornication. That's what the Bible says. Abstain from fornication. He says not only should you not be involved with the pornography, but you certainly shouldn't be involved in any kind of sexual activity as a young person that's not married. I heard a friend of mine one time, he had a girl come to him at, at camp, and this is a, a very clever statement he said. I've shared it many times. He said a young girl uh, came to him, a, a junior high, I think, maybe, maybe 14 years old, and she came to this guy and said, she said I, w- I want you to know I'm a homosexual. And this was his answer. I love this. He said, what are you doing having sex before you're married? He completely neutralized the subject by showing her that the issue was not what you're trying to say you are. The issue is you are living in direct disobedience to God, whether it is with a girl or whether it is with a boy, is completely irrelevant to this conversation. You are living in a clearly defined pattern of sinful activity. And the Bible plainly says... It's to be abstained from. The Bible says in uh, uh, 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 6, flee also youthful lust. It is not the only place in the Bible that it is told for us plainly to not be involved in sexual sin. A.C. Green was a famous NBA basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers in the 1980s. And, and, and A.C. Green was known as a believer. In fact, I've, 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 I have friends that have actually had him speak in their churches. He's a tremendous guy. He said it was in 1991 after Magic Johnson was diagnosed with HIV positive. And by the way, Magic Johnson has lived all these years with it, but if you were to look it up, you would find that he spends thousands of dollars on medication a month just to keep his disease at bay. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? They live a wild, promiscuous lifestyle oftentimes in the NBA. And when Irvin Johnson was diagnosed with HIV, every single other player on the Los Angeles Lakers was tested for HIV except for one. 
You know who that was? A.C. Green. You want to know why he wasn't tested? Because he didn't have to be tested. Because he had been a person who had a testimony that he had never lost his virginity, although he was in that culture of all those guys doing all that activity, he never got involved with it at all. Isn't that an amazing testimony? And young person, I want you to know that's supposed to be your testimony. That's supposed to be what would be said of you. You should be the kind of person, man, I've never been involved in that. I don't want to be involved with that. I want God's blessing on my life. And the fact of the matter is this culture was a wicked culture that would have pushed and pressured people to be involved in this. Listen to MacArthur as he described this culture. He said this Western culture for centuries, listen to this, which is our culture, Western culture, has had the beneficial influence of Christianity on its institutions. It's what we call, uh, as we discuss this, uh, a Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, I know our country has gone down the drain, but I, but I will tell you, for years and years and years, this country had a basic moral backbone to it. You know that, right? It was founded on biblical principles. It was founded on truth, and people had a basic fear of God and a basic fear of morality uh, uh, up until recent years. However, he says, Thessalonica was part of a debased culture that up to this point had been untainted by Christian influence. The city was rife with such sinful practices as adultery, homosexuality, fornication, pedophilia, and transvestitism. These were all done with a seared conscience and the society's acceptance, hence with little or no shame or guilt. Further contributing to sexual permissive environment was the influence of mystery religions that advocated ritual prostitution. This is insane. Can you imagine when Paul came into this city the first time to start this church? These people were crazy. And even though they lived in that kind of culture, and many of them had backgrounds. They had friends and families and husbands and wives that had not yet become Christians, even though his culture was wicked, and even though many of them, their acquaintances and friends, had likely not been saved. He still looks at them and says, even in this culture, you should abstain from fornication. You might look around you and say, oh my goodness, preacher, you have no idea what you're talking about. Have you seen what's on television? Well, frankly, probably not. Do you know what kind of music they're, they're pumping into our ears? Probably not. Do you know what's going on in my public school? Unfortunately, not. But I am telling you that it doesn't matter what culture you live in and how bad it is, God still says to you, abstain from fornication. In verse 4, he says, you should, every one of you should possess or keep or obtain his own vessel and sanctification honor. There's some interpretive differences here. Some people believe that uh, verse 4 means this is how you go about getting a wife. And I think there's some trouble with that because, because it, it looks like a transactional interpretation, like, like, like a woman is a vessel that you obtain or purchase. And, and that, that maybe could be true. I might be wrong here. I tend to think that verse 4 is a reference to how you treat your own body, how you view your own mind. Uh, how you ladies present yourself to, to men, how, how, maybe how you dress, how you appear. Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it right? Is it sending the right kind of message? In, in verse number five, he says this, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. You should not be looking, your body should not be like, your, your, your morality should not be like people that do not know God. Look at verse six, and this is very interesting. He says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. I gotta tell you, that is one of the most convicting phrases in this entire passage. You know what it says? When you're involved in premarital sexual activity, you are actually robbing somebody else of something that's theirs? 
The very fact of the matter is your little teenage romance is probably not going to produce a productive marriage one day. And the very person that you're messing with right now is probably going to be somebody else's wife one day. And the very fact of the matter is you are probably going to be somebody else's husband one day. And you ought to think more about your future than you think about your flesh. And you should be thinking about what is this going to look like for me one day down the road? What is this going to look like for my marriage? What am I going to have to tell the person that I'm going to marriage? The kind of things I've done, the kind of choices that I've made. Uh, do I, don't I owe it to my brother in Christ to not, to not steal what is rightfully his in the future? And then, and then furthermore, it goes to the end of verse 6, and he says it's even more complicated because when you do that, watch this, the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Bible tells us that there is a severe consequence that is tied directly to the sins of sexual activity. Folks, listen to me. This is nothing to play around with. The Lord is the avenger of all such. Now, excuse me for just a second. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Proverbs 6, verse 32 says, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get in his reproach, shall not be wiped away. How about this in Psalm 66, verse 19? When you get involved in sin in your life, you are separated from God and he will not hear your prayers. How about this in Psalm 51? A direct result of a sexual sin between David and Bathsheba. You have guilt that is so heavy, you realize what you've done is wrong. You've destroyed your reputation. You've destroyed your testimony. Young know, This is not where you want to live. There are some real serious problems with people that get involved in sexual activity before they are married. The founder of Kraft Foods was an outstanding Christian. His name, of course, was Mr. Kraft. He was able to go to give an address to a particular convention in the city of San Francisco. When he went, to San Francisco, he wanted to go and visit Alcatraz. The reason he wanted to go is because a woman had called him, a personal friend, and said, when you're out in San Francisco, you would have perhaps a chance to visit Alcatraz, and I have a son that is in Alcatraz. Would you be willing to go and visit him? Kraft agreed to the lady's request. He went to the prison. He was granted permission to visit the young man. He started down the corridor where it turned into the visiting room. And just as he turned into the visiting room, one of the guards stopped him. He said, stand still, Mr. Kraft. Don't move for a moment. After patting him down and checking him, he said, okay, Mr. Kraft, you're clean. Mr. Kraft was offended. He said, what do you mean I'm clean? Of course I'm clean. The guard said, what, what I mean is, you don't have anything that you should not take into the visitor's room. You're clean. Now let's just imagine for just a moment that the Holy Spirit of God was checking our hearts right now. And he walked up to your seat. And with his Holy Spirit's all-seeing, all-knowing, all-wise eye began to examine your purity for just a moment. I wonder if he'd pat you on the back and say, you're good, you're clean. You're good, you're clean. Or wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. 
we're not getting any further here because you're not clean. This needs to go. You need to get this out of your life. The high call of holiness. Let's pray together if we can. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.